My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome back to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. I'm Summer. I'm Nicole. (laughs) And uh, we want to just get started with a little catch up. How are you doing, Nicole? What's going on in your life? Yeah, things are great. Um, we've really gotten into like the terrible twos, I guess, because we've had lots of tantrums. He's like a sour patch kid, (laughs) sour, then all of a sudden he's sweet. (laughs) But so I've been reading some books and anyway, it seems like everything's just about having empathy, just, you know, lean into your toddler's emotions and try and tell them you understand because they're going through hard transition in their life, trying to understand the world. But the funny thing is he's just he hates being interrupted from playing. He's like obsessed with cars and he'll be playing with his cars and he'll be like time for dinner. And he'll just erupt in a tantrum because you interrupted his playing or like in the morning he goes to bed with a car, (laughs) not a teddy bear, a car. And then in the mornings he just sits in there and plays with his car until we come and get him, which it's really nice. But like you'll come in there to get him out of his crib and he'll throw a whole tantrum. Like I'm not done playing. Don't get me out of the crib yet. Wow. And the car seat too. He'll like, I'll have to just leave him in the car seat in the garage and come back and check on him. Cause he's playing with his cars in his car seat and does not want out. Oh my gosh. Stubborn. Yeah. Love yeah. It. He's funny. But so it's been fun though. Kids are fun. Yeah. And, and interesting. Yes, for sure. We're going a little bit through a transition right now because we're getting ready to move. Oh, yeah. Big. So just packing up everything and selling a lot of stuff. We're trying to minimize our things and buy some higher quality furniture and stuff that hopefully lasts longer than some of our furniture decisions when we first got married. Our couch is literally two legs are broken off. And so I made my husband go to the store (laughs) and get bricks from Lowe's. (laughs) So there's literally bricks under our couch. And one of the legs has been replaced by a rock that was like the perfect size. And so (laughs) my husband says, we're going to tell our kids, before you were born, we had to sit on rocks in our living room because we were so poor, <laughs> which isn't really true, but it's kind of funny. We're yeah. just trying to make it last until we can just throw it out and move. So yeah, yeah no need to buy a new couch to then move, right? Exactly. And anyway, this couch was $300 on Amazon and we're going to be talking about investing today. And so I learned the lesson early that you should invest in more than the $300 couch because it will be ruined after two years. <laughs> so, oh, darn. <laughs> like sometimes quality is worth it. Yes. But like I said, we are going to be talking about investing today and we want to start with some basics. Talk about some definitions because Nicole and I have noticed that this is so common. People don't really understand, for example, what a stock is or what a bond is and and it might sound boring, but we're going to make it really interesting. And we hope. yeah, <laughs> we hope. Um, and I feel like you can't really be a contributing member of your team 
whether that be your family or uh, if you're married, you and your spouse, you can't really be a contributing member of, of helping with your money if you don't know anything about investing or these basics. So it's just kind of, you got to kind of know these. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the unknown investing your money in something that's unknown is kind of scary. So the more you know about it, the more it helps you feel more confident with your investing. Yes. Education. I've also seen this with clients. Education really helps them feel more comfortable with investing. Cause if you don't know anything about it, then it's just like, Oh, I'm just putting my money in this weird thing and it grows and falls and I have no control over it. And it can really be scary. And so mm-hmm. hopefully we can help educate you and take out some of the fear. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> So I think the first question is, why should you even invest? And um, the main reasons to invest are to, well, I would say is to keep up with inflation because often your cash does not keep up with inflation, especially right now. Inflation is 8%. And I think of the last um, report that came out and cash is paying, well, cash interest rates are starting to go up. We're in a rising interest rate environment, but your cash is paying and historically has paid like two years ago around, you know, 2020 time period, inflation was like 2% and cash accounts were paying. If you're lucky a half a percent. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not even keeping up with inflation. Um, and especially if this money's long term, it's very important to keep up with inflation because if your money's losing three, four, 5% of its purchasing power every year, you're in, you're going to lose like half the value of your money. And what is that like? 20 years. Yeah. Something like that. Uh Um, The other thing is that most people cannot save enough money for retirement without investing. They need investing to be able to retire. And that problem is getting worse and worse as social security starting to become into question and people tend to move more often. And so then they go into retirement with a mortgage and they don't have pensions from their company. And before a pension would really take care of you in retirement, that and social security, and you didn't really need to, need to know how to invest. But now most of your retirement is in a 401k and it's, or in some other account. And you have to decide how it's going to grow and make sure there's enough money there for you. Yes. It's definitely shifted, especially the last couple of generations here. We have to figure out how to, uh, make our money grow on our own. Our companies aren't going to do it for us. They're not going to invest it for you. Uh, The government's not going to invest it for you and just give you this nice lump sum payout. All you get is social security. And if you're fortunate, very few companies offer pensions. It's like 13% of people have a pension now. Yes. So that's, that's if you're fortunate. So we really have to be clued in and dialed in on in investments and what we should be picking in our 401k. Yeah. So let's just get, dive in. So kind of the basics, we're just talking basics of investing and we're talking about publicly traded securities today. You can also invest in other things like I've been hearing a lot about investing in artwork yes. <laughs> or like collectibles or real estate. Even we're not even going to dive into real estate too deep today, but yeah, these cryptocurrency. are cryptocurrency publicly traded securities. Usually that you, and this is usually what your 401k is in yeah. and stuff like this. Well, not usually it is. Yes. <laughs> so first one would be stocks. Um, I remember when I was younger, I, I took a class in high school where we traded stocks and I was like, Oh, this is fun, but I have no idea what I'm actually trading. <laughs> When you trade a stock um, or when you buy a stock, you're buying ownership into a company. It's like you are a tiny little owner. You own a piece of the pie 
and you get to participate as the company does well. And if the company doesn't do well, you also participate in the downside too. And, um, I like to tell people, um, I like to compare owning a stock to owning real estate because people understand owning real estate because mm-hmm. they can see it. Most people own a house or, you know, somebody they know owns a house. So when you buy a stock, it would be almost like buying a piece of ownership in a house. And we see house prices go up. We see high house prices go down. Sometimes just about the timing of when you buy and sell. And you can rent out your house and you can get rental income. So on a stock, you can get dividends, which is kind of like getting rent. They'll pay you out some little dividends over time. Some stocks will. And then when you go to sell the stock, you might have had some gains, just like in a house. Like if you owned a house for 10 years, it'll likely have gone up in value. You know, the stock hopefully will have gone up in value and you can sell it at gains and get money that way. So you can get money from dividends and from selling your stock. You can also lose money, of course, by the stock price going down. And stocks can be quite volatile. This is where real estate and stocks really differ is that stocks trade daily and it's very public. And because of that, the behaviors around stocks are much more risky and volatile. When you can see, you know, you can log into a statement when you invest and see your values change every single day. And that can cause quite, you know, an emotional response when you see your money going up and down like that. And we don't see that with house prices if you buy real estate because there's not a statement that comes out every day or can't log in and see your house price change every day. Um, So people feel a lot more comfortable usually investing things they know or something like real estate because they don't see the price every day. So that's usually why I tell people, quit looking at your stocks every day. (laughs) It's going to move a lot based on the news and based on what's going on in the economy. A lot of that's just short-term noise. Long-term, mm-hmm. if you invested in a high-quality company and they're doing well, your stock will go up over time. Yes. And we had a return data for stocks. What What's the return data we found for someone who invests in the stock market? What are they going to earn on their money? Yeah. So we usually use indexes to kind of talk about stock markets. You might hear on the news like the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones. It's like a basket of stocks they track to kind of show how stocks are doing. So the S&P 500, the last 20 years ending in 2021, averaged nine and a half percent a year. Wow. It's pretty good. Yeah. And if you adjust that for inflation, it did 7.1% per year. Um, But definitely over the last um, like hundred years, we've seen stock prices be all over the place. Some years as high as 54% in one year and as low as 43% other years. Um, but then, you know, over time it averages out to that nine and a half percent. It's just some years are higher than others. And that's what can cause people a lot of stress is some years are awesome and some years are terrible. Yes. And to be clear, this is no guarantee on your purchase of a stock. If you purchase one particular stock and that company does poorly, you're not going to get the nine and a half percent, right? That's that's an average of a stock market yeah. index. And past performance is no guarantee of future performance. There's, It's called the lost decade from 2001 to 2011, I think, mm-hmm. where the if you invested in the S&P 500, you actually would have made nothing, yeah. 0%. And yeah. that was during the global financial crisis. And we also had the dot-com bubble in there. So sometimes it is about timing. Like if you invested from that period to that period, whereas if you bought like from 2005 to 2015, you may have made money. So that definitely times change. 
and there is risk with investing yes and there's no guarantees on a stock like you could buy a piece of apple or or apple stock or yeah microsoft or coca-cola or john deere tractors yes and there's there's lots of different options out there um and or you buy stocks from places in India, companies based in India or Europe or something. Yeah. So there's lots of options. And there's stocks that you may, companies you may never have heard of. Yeah. They can be big, like big names or small, medium. There's lots of options with stocks. And usually you buy those in an individual little option. You just buy one or two or three stocks of Apple or whatever. And and then you hold it and see what happens. So another thing you can purchase is bonds. Yeah. So bonds are loans that you make to another company. So let's say you wanted to make a loan to Apple. Then they basically say, okay, you pay us up front and we're going to have a loan with you for 10 years, just like a car loan, for example. And we're going to pay you over time for loaning us your money. And so like stated interest rate. Yeah. Stated interest rate. They call it a coupon. And that's what they're going to pay you out. So let's say you buy a thousand dollar bond and then they pay you a hundred dollars every year for 10 years. And then at the end of, if it's a 10 year bond, the end of the 10 years, they will pay you your thousand dollars back. That's the general principle. But there's still, even though that sounds really nice, like, oh, who wouldn't want guaranteed interest on your bond? Uh, There's still risk associated with bonds because sometimes what happens is the interest rates will go up or down and that can really affect bonds. And and so if you aren't, if you sell your bond midway, yeah, like you need money before the 10 years are up. Yeah, if you just say, actually, I want to get out of this. I'm going to sell my bond five years in. Well, you may only be able to get $800 for your bond. And then you've, you know, lost $200 on the purchase of your bond. So if you don't hold it to term, you can kind of experience some interest. And another thing that can happen is other new bonds may be paying better rates. And so now you're locked into your bond and you could have a new bond that's paying more, like $200 for 10 years. And so then you're like, oh, well, now I'm, I, I have this bond. It's not doing as well as others. And so there's still risks involved, but that coupon payment is guaranteed in a sense. It's not companies that make or give sell bonds, excuse me, can still fail, but it's a lot more secure than a stock because there's an agreement that they're going to pay you. There's no agreement with a stock that they're going to pay you Mm -hmm. anything. So these are an important part of a portfolio because they provide a little bit of safety, a little bit more steady income and increase in your account. Yeah. You can loan money to lots of different types of companies and they can have lower ratings. Um, Like, you know, a company like Apple or Microsoft has a really high rating. So they're probably going to pay you a lower interest rate. Whereas a company that has a lower rating will pay you more in interest. And you can get into what's called junk bonds where Mm -hmm. they have really low ratings and they pay quite high interest rates, but they're more likely to default and you don't get your money back. And we have had clients own bonds that have defaulted and they got back pennies on the dollar. So it's better to, if you're going for safety, to go with the higher rated. And you can also loan money to the government, which usually is kind of the highest rating. Yes. The safest option. 
And a lot of those are like backed by the federal government. They'll make sure that they pay you. There's no default risk with some of those yeah. government. There's bonds. very little anyway, because yes. the government can print money and yes. they can raise taxes to pay for that. That kind of stuff. So that's very safe. But again, the more safety that you have when you invest, the usually the lower the payout. Yeah, and I think this is such a great point. Keep, yeah, sorry, keep going. <laughs> so we have this phrase, and you may have heard it before. People say it sometimes. Risk means reward. So if you are willing to take on more risk, like buy a stock, then your reward potentially can be greater. And the opposite's true. If you're not willing to take on risk, then you have to sacrifice some of the reward. And by reward, I mean return. Like, oh, I'm only going to earn 2% on my money because I really want to just buy this government bond that's paying 2%, for example. Mm -hmm. So you give up some of that really high return for your safety. Yeah. This is like the number one red flag, I think, if for scams is if they're saying, oh, there's, you know, you can get 14% returns with very little risk. Oh my gosh, you should run away. Yeah. Or <laughs> like any of this is like, oh, double digit returns with no risk. Yeah. You gotta be really, really careful with that. And I always tell people, you can't get something for nothing. And if, if they're telling you there's no risk, there's risk somewhere. Yeah, for sure. The Bloomberg Global Aggregate Bond Index has paid 4.3% over the last 20 years on average. So that's what you're looking at in terms of return on a bond. Yeah. Just want to make sure uh, our listeners are aware of the options there. So a bit less than stocks, but still decent return on your money and trying to keep up with inflation. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a good time to talk about the rule of 72. So this is kind of like a just a basic way to estimate returns. So the rule of 72 is that if you take 72 divided by your expected return, so let's say we're expecting stocks to do 10%, um, then you take 72 divided by 10 and you can expect your money to double every seven years. And so with um, stocks, you know, earning nine and a half percent on average years over the last 20 years, you could expect your money to double about every seven and a half years or so, seven and a half to eight years. With bonds, if you are investing in bonds at 4.3%, your money will double every 18 years. So it takes twice as long to get your money to grow when you're just in bonds, but it is safer. That's yeah. why they're offering a lower rate of return. Yes. So, and we'll get into a little bit more of options and what you should think about and if you want to invest your money and what mix you should have of bonds and stocks. So we'll talk a little bit about that later on. The other uh, important uh, thing we want to talk about are ETFs and mutual funds. These are different and ETFs different than a mutual fund, but for simplicity's sake, we're just going to lump them together today because they're very similar. They're like kind of like fraternal twins or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, ETF or mutual fund is a basket of stocks. So it's a collection of many individual stocks. So you put maybe Apple in there, Microsoft, uh, just different companies, CVS, whatever. And it's in a basket and you can purchase that basket. So that way you have a lot more diversification when you're buying an ETF or a mutual fund. And you're not just buying one individual stock and the, the beauty in an ETF or mutual fund is you aren't putting so much on the table into one stock, right? You spread your money out against many different companies. And so 
if one of those companies fails, your money's not all in that company. You have a lot of different options. So on average, uh, you're a little bit safer doing uh, multiple stocks over one stock. That's not always true, but it's it, it generally good rule of thumb. Yeah. So that's an option and, and you can buy an ETF or mutual fund on any platform, just like a stock or a bond. And they're a great option and they perform very similarly to stocks. It's uh, same, similar returns and similar uh, concept. You're just ownership of a company, but your portion is even smaller usually. <laughs> yeah. And mutual funds uh, also allow you to keep your trading costs low because usually when you're buying a stock, you're buying a bond, you have to pay a commission for every time you buy or sell. But when you buy a mutual fund that maybe owns a thousand stocks, you don't have to pay for the thousand commissions to buy those thousand stocks mm -hmm. inside of that mutual fund. So mutual funds have really made investing more accessible to the everyday person yeah. and to have that diversification and the low cost. Yes. And mutual funds, you can invest. You can't invest, invest directly into like an index. Like we talked about the S&P 500 index, but you can buy a mutual fund that tracks the S&P 500 index. Mm -hmm. And you can buy mutual funds that... Um, you know, buy more um, socially responsible companies or environmentally responsible companies. You can buy a mutual fund that only invests in companies in Utah. And you could also buy a mutual fund that only buys small companies or only buys large. There's so many choices out there. Basically, if you want to buy a certain type of company, you can probably find a mutual fund that will do it for you. <laughs> yeah. So they'll be called like U.S. Equity Mutual Fund or International Mutual Fund or ETF. And that's super nice because you don't have to go do all the research of what international stock should I buy. They have it all in the basket for you. So that's really nice and a good plus. Most people, when they have a 401k, you're going to see only mutual funds that you can invest in. And they'll be like, like Summer said, a, a US one, international one, a bond one, and that they're, they're based on like what their target investment strategy is. Yep. So we want to talk about the a few mistakes of investing and what some of these can look like and some of the things that Nicole and I have seen uh, throughout our careers. So we had a client who was widowed and her husband had been paid a lot of company stock from his company. He had he worked for a large company that everyone's familiar with and they had paid him in stock over the years for his employment and after his death they continued to pay him some money or some stock like some options were being yeah, vested and granted yeah. options and so he was getting paid if you will with stock from his company so she came to us and she had oh i want to say 60 percent of her account was in this particular stock and so we sat there and we were looking at it. We're looking at the volatility of the stock and the stock had actually done really well, but we recognized how risky it was for her portfolio to be invested all in one stock. Even 60% is yeah, way, too, way it's, a it's lot. It's quite a bit. Usually we talk about not more than 5% of your portfolio in one stock. It's just a lot of risk to take on. What if that company fails? And he loses his job and he loses 
a bunch of money in his investment portfolio. Yeah, it's just really risky because you just don't know what's going to happen. I know in 2008, there were some big companies that failed, that went down. And so nobody's invincible. I don't care how much you love your job or how great you think the company is. This is a risk. And so we helped her. It, it, there were some gains because like Nicole mentioned, when you own a stock and you sell it for more than you bought it, you have a gain. So there were some gains on her stock, but it was important to her to get what we call divested from the stock, the opposite of invested. You sell out and we, we sold out of a lot of the stock and bought mutual funds to give her a little bit more diversification. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that soon, but that was a, a big help to her, I think, because after that, the stock market went down a lot. And although her account also went down. It wasn't all in one stock. And if that company were to fail, she could be in big mm -hmm. trouble. So, well, there's all kinds of stories about people who worked for Enron, who lost their jobs and also lost a lot of money in their retirement accounts because they might've had, they were being given Enron stock yes. in their accounts. And that company went completely under. It's very surprising. Um, we've had, I have, we had another client who their portfolio was made on one stock. It was a retail stock and it, it did so well. And honestly, it was because that one, they owned so much of that one stock and it did so well that they were able to retire. And so that's the story of like, well, maybe I, you know, and there got to be a little bit of emotional attachment to that stock because this is what made our wealth in many ways, which is very uncommon. We very rarely see that. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of, you know, not very excited about selling that stock's like, well, it's going to keep going up. We're excited about the company, but we, you know, talked to them about selling out and keeping some of it. And we kept more than 5% of their portfolio in that stock partially because it was her, her terrible taxes to sell some of this. Yeah. Um, but we did sell a lot. And then during COVID that company took a big hit Yeah, and, um, and then after COVID too. And so they were very grateful that they sold out of some of it. I think long-term it's still a good company and they still have money in it and they'll probably still see some uptick from that, but now they're much more diversified. So it's very important not to have too much of your portfolio in one stock. And yeah. we typically see most people have one stock because their company gave it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So be, be careful, be on the lookout for that. What, what do you own? If you already are invested, what does your portfolio look like? Good thing to consider. And then I guess one other thing about this is that just because a stock has performed well in the past, doesn't mean it keep, we're going to keep going. Yeah. That basically all of the top stocks, you know, if we go back over the decades, the top 20 stocks, you know, in the next 20 years or 10 years, they were not the top stock any longer. Yeah. And so just because a stock has done well does not mean it will continue. And oftentimes once a stock has had a lot of growth, it, it's kind of capped out on its growth. It can't keep growing in the same way. Yes. So this is another mistake, I guess, it leads into our next mistake of following the hype or being like, well, this stock has had awesome returns. Mm -hmm. You should buy this stock. Well, now you're buying the stock at a high after it's already gone up a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you gotta be really careful not just to say, oh, you know, this is the next amazing stock out there. It's the next Amazon, the next, you know, Apple. Yeah. Um, because it's had a hundred percent returns in the last two years. Well, you gotta be careful that you're not now buying at a high price. Yeah, it's true. I, I know someone who really wanted in with Tesla, but like Nicole said, Tesla already had its run. We're hearing about it after the fact, usually like, oh, this amazing company. Well, it already went up a lot. It could go up more, but you can't guarantee that. So 
be careful when you're thinking about, you know, who are you listening to and, and what, what advice are they giving you? Yeah. Bitcoin has been another big thing recently. The people got really excited about Bitcoin, partially because people were having awesome returns in Bitcoin. Yeah. And that was a, a big reason for the hype. And then it's just also, you know, the next new thing and, you know, this the direction we're going. And a lot of people bought Bitcoin at the very top. And then Bitcoin last year has fallen 50%. Yes. And so... And a lot of people are regretting, like I bought in right at the peak and, you know, who knows what will happen with it long term. But again, it's one of the issues of buying the hype is it may never come back. And yeah. a lot of people lost half of their money in one year. I, I am weary about cryptocurrency because this is something really common. I hear I studied finance at a big university and a lot of my classmates are really getting excited about it. We call them like the finance bros. They would just be like, <laughs> oh, crypto this, crypto that. And there's this phrase I hear so much revolving cryptocurrency. It's like, I... I follow this guy. That's how the story starts. Yeah. I follow this guy and he says X, Y, or Z about cryptocurrency. And therefore I bought XRP or this, there's lots of different types of cryptocurrency. And they're like, oh, you should get in. He's saying on this day that this is going to happen. And this kind of leads into our, another issue we've seen or something to be weary of when you're investing. It's timing the market. He's like, oh, this guy I follow is like, oh, if you buy in on this day, you're going to get a really great return. Well, I just wanted to like tell all those people who were saying all these things. Well, like that guy doesn't have a crystal ball and nobody has ever been able to predict the stock market very well. So <laughs> I just would have low trust. And guess what happened? XRP, the one that everyone is hyped about has totally crashed as well. So you just need to be careful about listening to, oh, on this day and at this time, the market's going to recover or it's going to fall and you should sell. This is getting into to some scary waters, I will say. Yeah, I have I have clients who like send me emails they've gotten of like, well, this person says the market's going to crash on this day. And so we should all sell the gold or we should sell the cash or or this stock is going to do really awesome, but you have to buy in before this date. And I always tell them, well, what's the catch there? Are they asking you to pay some money? Like that's, <laughs> if they're ever asking you to pay money, don't, don't do it. <laughs> but uh, sometimes they don't. And, um, you know, they're just trying to get you to start being their fault follow them and yes. follow their investment advice. And eventually they'll ask you for money. And a lot of times they're using scare tactics. Oh, oh yeah. like, this is crazy. Like it's going to fall 50% and all. It's just like, they don't know. They cannot know. Nobody knows the future. And this is another thing we see a lot, especially with people who are pretty conservative investors, meaning they don't want to take a lot of risk. We have this one client who's just like, I only want to put money in the stock market when it's ready, when it's going to go up. I want to be in cash until it goes up. Well, you could just miss the time when it goes up. We don't know that. And we're financial advisors. If we did, we would be too busy to be making this podcast. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's actually very normal for the stock market to fall. Um, let's see. What is the number? There's There's been a decline of at least 10% in the last 10 out of the 20 years. And we've still got nine and a half percent average returns. Again, doubling your money every what, like seven, eight years. Yeah. So you just got to ride through the ups and downs and, and recognize that that's a very normal part of investing is the ups and downs. And you just almost need to like ignore your statements and not look at it daily or weekly because investing should be for the long term. The short term is where people lose money. 
you know, day trading can be a quite risky business because <laughs> you're often trading over the short term and, and it can go wrong on you. When you're investing, you're investing in a company that you have faith in. You think the economy overall is going to go up. You think that they have good prospects and you're in it for the long haul. And so you just got to ignore the short-term noise and volatility out there. And timing the market is kind of a fool's game. <laughs> There's been a lot of studies that a monkey throwing a dart at a board has guessed the market outcomes more correctly than some academics and mm -hmm. some people who study the markets. And oftentimes people will say, well, I predicted this correctly. Well, are they telling you all the things they missed predicting? <laughs> yeah. So you can be right sometimes, but often when you're investing, you have to be right twice. You have to be right about when you buy and you have to be right about when you sell. And so it's very difficult to, uh, you know, think about anything that's happened in your life. Have you been able to predict it? No, very little. Even in your day, it's hard to predict sometimes what will happen. Yeah, I totally. And, yeah. We've seen that for sure. And the world is getting more complicated too. And so many things intertwine with each other, you know, in the financial markets. And so many th different things can happen, different crises or different awesome things too. So it's very difficult to predict what could happen. Yes. So be wary of listening to all the news and trying to uh, just listen to one single person. You need to make educated academic decisions and read what, you know, what has history said about the stock market and, and use that more as data than one person's guess. <laughs> yeah. And we see lots of people come and say, Oh, I followed this newsletter or I follow this guy, I pay for his program. It's like 20 bucks a month. And he gives me his stock investing tips. I'm like, oh, that's fine. But I, we've had plenty of people who haven't made money doing that. I'll just say that. <laughs> yes. And so it's difficult to find the person who's going to be correct. And so it's better to just follow some good principles and basics of investing, which I guess actually before we leave this, you know, mistakes of investing, I think the big thing is I just hear people all the time, you know, worry about what they've heard on the news. And the news's goal is to get you to keep listening. And they do that by basically fear usually. Mm -hmm. And, um, so often everything you hear on the news about the economy and companies is often things that are bad. It's rare to hear really awesome news, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I always tell people, I'm like, please don't get your investing news, investing information from the news and don't make your investment decisions off of what you're hearing. But just listening to the news every day can create fear in you and then make you fearful of investing. So you just got to check yourself a lot and yes. create a good investment plan instead. Yes. Uh, speaking of investment plan, I wanted to, wanted to cover this. So a mistake in investing that I've seen a lot, this is really common for young people, but a friend of mine was getting ready to put a down payment on her house. And she made the mistake of putting money into the stock market and thinking that would be her, uh, used for her down payment that she needed within like six months. And then what happened was she invested the money in the stock market and the stock market went down. And so the value of her money, let's say it was 40,000 went to 30,000. And she's like, Oh no, like this is something to be weary of. You need to be careful about what money you're putting into the stock market. If you just throw your money in there and you need it next year, that's how you do bad in the stock market. That is a recipe for failure. We, as a general rule, say don't put money 
in an investment account that you need in the next five years. If you know for sure, I am going on this trip and it's going to cost $10,000 or I am going to a dental school and it's going to cost this much in two years. Uh, don't be putting that into the stock market. It's really volatile. And then you could lose money because mm-hmm. we've never prom. No one's ever promised. Well, I guess maybe someone has, but it's not a good, uh, something to rely on that your money's going to do nine and a half percent over two years. The data we've been sharing today is over 10 years. You need some time. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Investing is about the long term, And it, when you're doing it over the short term, it feels a little more like gambling. Yes. <laughs> and now investing into bonds could be better for like a, you know, short term goal. Yes. But you want to make sure you're buying the right bonds. I had a client where I said, okay, you know, he just wanted some advice from me. He paid me a little consulting fee and then he was going to go do his own investing. And so I told him you need to buy short-term bonds because you're going to be retiring soon. Well, a few years later, he came back and said, oh, I'm done. Now that I'm retired, I want you to manage the money. Well, I looked at the bonds he had bought. It was very long-term bonds, <laughs> which actually went down because interest rates went up a bit and he actually lost money on those bonds. So you got to match your time horizon with your bonds too. And that's even bonds are, there's so many intricacies with investing, yeah. but just something to keep in mind that bonds can be shorter term if you buy the right time type of bonds. Another option, if it's a short term goal is the high yield savings account yeah, that's, or a CD. Yeah. Some, some really great options because they can still earn you something, but it's, it's a lot safer and sometimes guaranteed depending on where your money is. If it's at the bank or in a CD. Um, another big issue I see with people is being too conservative in your retirement accounts and too early. So when you have a long time horizon, you should be more aggressive. And when you have a short time horizon, you should be more conservative. And some people get too conservative too early. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've had a lot of people, you know, where we work on investing and we show them, well, this is how we think you should be invested. And we look back at their returns and they've been invested in like half stocks, half bonds for most of their career. Or I see this a lot where they got scared one time and they moved everything to cash and never went back to stocks. And it's been 10 years or something and they haven't made very many returns. And I'll say as a financial advisor there, that's a sickening feeling when you see their account and you're like, you're 40. Why do you have such conservative investments? You need growth in these accounts. If you want to be able to have a good retirement, you have to have earning. Yeah. Yeah. And when you start calculating what they could have earned, I know. Yeah. Oh man. Looking back at what you could have invested in is always the worst feeling. Yeah. And, and I always caution clients not to do it. So I have to, I have to caution myself not to do it too. Like, you know, we could always look back and say, this is what we should have done, but it's hard to predict the future. So don't look back and regret so much, but just, you know, try and have a good plan going forward. Um, typically, um, women tend to be a lot less aggressive than men yes. in their investing. <laughs> and actually, um, let's see, this is from Credit Karma. 40% of men have money invested in the stock market compared to just 22% of women. Wow. So big difference. And um, LVEST did a study about men and women investing. And they basically said that there's an investing gap there. And for a woman who earned $100,000, this gap of like what, you know, the average man, the average woman, how they invest differently, it could cost them a million dollars over a 30 year period, like a 30 year career. (laughs) So a man who earned a hundred thousand could have 2 million at retirement. And that same woman may only, or woman 
you know, on average would have only a million. That's crazy. Half the money. So it's important that as women, we gain some confidence. Men just tend to be a little more aggressive and confident in their investing Mm -hmm. is what the studies have shown. But um, women also have been shown to be really good investors when they do invest. But the problem is sometimes having confidence. A lot of women prioritize other things above investing when they've done studies. Women often prioritize things about family and, um, you know, their home. Whereas men often prioritize, um, you know, retirement and growth and, and growing their careers. And so it can be a big difference. Um, but women can do it just as well as men. It just, sometimes they just need that tap on the shoulder to say, you can do it. And we do that a lot with our clients of just really encouraging like, Hey, you, you need to be more aggressive and you can, you can afford this risk and here's your trade-offs. Um, sometimes just having like a coach to help you through that. Yeah. I think that's a huge and important part of investing, especially if you're new to it, having someone help you along and make those big decisions. Cause they are big. It's, it's your hard work and your earned money that you're putting in. And, and so having a good advisor or helper is, is so mm-hmm. beneficial. Yeah. And some of the studies about the value of a financial advisor are around that, one of the main things an advisor does for people is keep you in your seat when you're, when the markets are bad or when you're nervous. I feel like that's half of our job. Sometimes we, you know, the markets are like life. They go up and they go down good days and bad days. And sometimes on those bad days, our clients are calling us. I just want to be done with this. I don't want to own any stocks. It's so hard. And we're like, you can do this. Take a deep breath. Remember our investment plan that we put together with each other and and we're going to help you stay accountable to that. I mean, obviously it's your money. If you really want to pull out, we can, but let's try and stick to the goal. So have those conversations a lot in down markets, not so much in good markets. (laughs) But But I've, you know, this is, I I would say this is a person I see all the time of they, they always call me. they never, they will hardly pick up the phone and talk to me when the markets are good. But when the markets are down, they call me a lot and they're constantly calling me to pull their money out. And, and when your markets are down, you pull your money, you're, you're, you're setting in your loss. Yes. You're selling low. If you had a house, you would try and sell at the, at the peak of the market, right? Wait for it to recover. Yeah. Now a lot of people, you know, like I'll just keep, living in this house, we won't sell yet until the market comes back up. That's a, your mindset with stocks needs to be that way too. You just hang on to it till the market comes back up. But I have so many people who call me and I can't talk them off that ledge. They take the jump and we sell. And then, um, and then when they're, when the things are starting to go better again, the news is better. They're feeling better is when they'll buy back in, but now they're buying back at a high. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the average investor actually has, under way underperformed any index when they've looked at like some, you know, the stats because of this issue. Um, the cost of timing in the market, just let's give some numbers. I like numbers. Hopefully yeah. people do. And we'll have everything linked in the show notes so you can see where we got these statistics. <laughs> yeah. So a thousand dollars invested in 1997 would now at the end of 2021 be 10,367. Wow. So you would have grown your money by you know, $9,000. If you met, missed the best month, which is actually during COVID, it was like April yeah. of 2020. So like people were very worried about what was happening. Everybody's working from home. There's a lot of unknowns. You would have only had 8,279. So instead of making nine, about a little over 9,000, you would have made a little over 7,000. So you missed out on $2,000 wow. by just being out of the market for a month. 
Now, if you miss six months during the, and this was during the financial crisis when markets were down like 50%, people were just, you know, tons of layoffs. People were so worried about what was going to happen. Housing prices just fell off a cliff. And um, if you had missed those six months during the worst of that financial crisis, you'd only have 6728 So you would have missed out on almost $4,000 wow. by just being out of the market for six months. And it's always these like the worst times, like the most, the worst times for like your emotions and the news. That's actually the times you need to be in the market because yeah. the market tends to be a forward looking thing. So the market recovers before the economy does. Yeah, no, that makes sense. This kind of reminds me of the Ferris wheel at Disneyland. I was just on it with my family and we're, we got on and I really had no problem stomaching it, but my husband and my mother-in-law were like losing it up there. And it was the one that swings when you're up in the air. And anyway, we would get to like a better point, like the top and you wouldn't swing as much and everyone would kind of calm down. And then you'd start coming down the other side and you'd start swinging and, and they were just so scared. And I, I can't help but think about investing that, you know, sometimes like it's rough on the ride. There's hard parts, there's scary parts where you're swinging out over the water. It's not fun to see your account go down. But once you get off the ride, you're like, oh, that was a good memory. I'm glad I did it, yeah. whatever. And and so the payoff, the reward can be really good. But yeah, there's, there's bumps and it's not always pretty is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. And you just got to give it time <laughs> is what I always tell people. Just give it time. Yeah. And People who have given it time, you know, people will often come to me and say, you know, this is, they inherited money from their parents and they'll say, you know, my dad told me he started this account with $30,000 and now, you know, this is going to make my retirement. Yeah. And, and this is only a fourth of the account because all my siblings got yeah. some money too. And, and so we often see that time work out better for people across, they can see it across generations mm -hmm. when they've had a lot of time. And Fidelity did a study that, the people who performed the best were people who died or forgot their passwords. So they couldn't log in and make any changes. Yes. So they just let it ride. Yes. Uh, to summarize, we wanted to just point out a few important tips when it comes to investing and Nicole just pointed one out and, and that is time. If you have the time to invest like 20, 30 years till you need this money for retirement or whatever. And I know some people might say, well, I'm, I'm 50. I don't have time. 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> 10 years. Well, and you're going to be living through retirement for 20, 30 years. Yes. You can still. Yeah. So you can still be investing while you're retired. Yes. That's actually really important too. People think, oh, I'll just take it all out in cash. And it's like, well, there's still inflation. <laughs> so, yeah. so important to be invested for the long run. And then another thing we mentioned earlier is diversification, making sure you own lots of different companies. This is so important and a big thing that we already talked about. People make the mistake of just owning one thing. Important to own a lot of different things, take some of the risk out of investing. Yeah. That lost decade I talked about where if you'd only owned the S&P 500 during the 10 years from 2001 to 2011, you would have made no money in the stock market. Well, if you actually owned a little bit of international stocks, you would have. Yeah. So it's, and, and if you'd own some small cap companies too, it's not just S&Ps like large US companies. So again, way to diversify across different asset classes. Yeah, small companies, large companies, companies international in Ireland and wherever. Europe, yeah, yeah. India. <laughs> I like Ireland a lot. So I always point them out. Um, <laughs> 
And then another really key point is to find low cost investments. So the way that a mutual fund company makes money like Fidelity or Schwab or whoever, one way that they can make money is they charge a little bit of a, a fee when you buy your investment. It's like a percentage. So they'll take that on your off of your return. So if you do 8%, they'll take, you know, point two percent or point oh point zero five if they're cheap so looking out for things that don't cost very much because we've seen some that are like over one percent of it's called the expense ratio that's expensive but be careful uh, when you're buying these etfs mutual funds and buying more expensive mutual funds doesn't mean you're going to get a better mutual fund yeah it's it doesn't always correlate yeah <laughs> so so look out for that and then another thing, I, Nicole, you want to talk about buy and hold? And yeah, this goes back to anything about people who forgot their password did the yeah. best. You know, you just um, if you often just let it go and don't pay too much attention and keep take the emotions out of it and just your investment strategy is I'm buying this and I don't need the money for 10, 20 years. And we're just going to hang on. We picked good quality investments. We came up with a good investment plan. Now we're just going to ride it out yeah. and not let emotions change our decisions. Stay on the Ferris wheel, finish yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then another thing we talked about is focusing on what you can control. So you can't control what the stock market does, but you can't control how you react and kind of those emotions that you're feeling that those are in your power. And so focusing on, on that and trying to rein that in and, and giving yourself that pep talk or, or having an advisor give you that pep talk of, okay, I'm in this for a long run. I can do this. Um, there, no one, I'm in control of what I'm invested in and, um, and not worrying too much about what's going on in the world and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And w anything to add to that? Yeah. Well, and other things you can control are things like taxes. Well, you can't really control taxes, <laughs> but you can control some things about how you invest to be invested more tax efficiently. Yeah. Like we've talked about Roth versus traditional in another episode. Um, and then you can do other things to help lower your taxes. We have lots of tax strategies. It's one of our favorite things to help people with. <laughs> and it's where we can add a lot of value. Yes. Or um, say how much you save or how much you spend. A lot of people, you know, come to us and say, well, I need to earn this much in the stock market or I need some great returns so I can retire. I rarely see people made wealthy by investing. What what helps people the most is their savings and spendings habits. You should be saving 15 to 20% of your income towards retirement. And then that also helps you control, you know, if you're having to save 15 to 20%, that means you don't have as much to spend. Yeah. I see people who make a lot of money. Oh, all the time. And, but because they spend so much, they can't retire because they need a lot of money to be able to maintain their same spending habits. Yeah. Income does not equal like comfort or... <laughs> yeah. Or security yeah. long-term financially. You got to learn to save. And this is why, you know, if you are saving, if you make a lot of money, you still need to be saving 15 to 20% of that because that will help you cut back your spending and it'll make sure you're saving enough <laughs> to my, maintain your My brother lifestyle. and I have talked about this a lot. We always tease. People are like, oh, want to brag about, I make $150,000 a year. And my brother and I are like, it does not matter how much you make. It is your saving. We call it your saving percentage. How much are you saving? And that will impress us way more yeah. than, oh, I make X amount. Oh, I save 30% of my income. That's impressive. Yeah, exactly. I think. Yeah, no, it is. And because, yeah, I see people, if they spend, even if they make a lot of money, if they're spending 90% of their income, they're never going to be able to retire. Yeah. 
because they're spending that much and they're not saving enough to support it. it. It's true. So yeah, it's important to focus on those types of things that you can control. Um, and you know, as a financial advisor, I think that's kind of where our value lies is like focusing on those things. Cause well, at least our type of financial advising, we're not like big into active management and picking the next great stock. We're into helping people create a financial plan and, um, you know, focus on what you can control and what you can, and then building a good, solid, disciplined investment plan. Yeah. And along with that, I was just going to say, um, discipline is another important aspect of investing. If you can get, you know, discipline and consistency in investing is huge because then it's helping you create a habit of putting money into the stock market, earmarking it for retirement and getting that going monthly or annually or however you want to do it that can really set you up for success. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And the other big thing about investing is just your time horizon. You need to match your time horizon to what you're investing in. So cash, if it's for the short term, you know, bonds, if it's a, the medium short term and then stocks are at the long term. Yeah. Um, and, and if you have questions about it, a financial advisor can help you with what matching your time horizon to their assets. Yes. Yep. Uh, I think that people think that investing can be intimidating because they often hear like their friends or like at the water cooler, people say like, well, I own this stock and it did this and I did this. And honestly, that actually is just more of a fun way to invest. The way that my assets are invested is the majority of them are in pretty boring mutual funds. I actually had one client who said, I, I go golfing with my friends and I can't tell them what I'm invested in because you just have me in mutual funds. Can you tell me some of my top holdings in these mutual funds? I'm like, yeah, I can't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's not as exciting and, but it's very safe and it's well diversified, low cost. And then, then I do have a play account where I took a small amount of money and I buy stocks. And let me tell you, my play account is not doing well. <laughs> Even as a financial advisor, I look at this stuff every day. It's like, it's it just another example of that. It's difficult. I'll have one stock that does really well. And then another stock that doesn't, yeah. or I bought at the wrong time or I sold at the wrong time. And I'm like, dang, I shouldn't have sold that stock. It's done so well now. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> My husband has a play account and he bought a bunch of airline stocks and I was so excited for him because he's never really gotten into investing. I kind of handle all of that. And so he like buys all of them and then they all just do so poorly through COVID. And I'm like, never mind, you can't have that anymore. You have to wait until those come back. And so now we just the play account is now just sitting there. We're waiting for it to recover because yeah, it has not worked out very well for us either. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it's fun and it's a good way to experience investing too. So uh, I tell people, you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy or exciting. Just buy a few mutual funds and it should be boring, honestly. Yeah. yeah this isn't a game. This is your money. This is your savings. And uh, granted the money that Nicole and I are talking about in these fun accounts I'm talking less than 1% of our portfolio. Yeah, very small. Nothing. Do not put your like, life savings in it's, there. It's money that if it went away, I would be sad, but I wouldn't be like devastated yeah. and it wouldn't ruin our finances. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, I, I bought something and it didn't work out. Right. Yeah. Like that kind of mentality. So uh, our takeaway for our listeners today is to look at your own situation and evaluate uh, whether or not you have the means and the ability to invest. And hopefully you do. And you can decide for yourself what appropriate uh, investment account you should open and what types of investments. We're not going to get into any recommendations. That's, That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. So we encourage you to take a look at that and evaluate 
according to your situation, what investing could look like for you and to get started if you can uh, in investing. Yeah, and then just disclosures because we got to um, make our compliance department happy. So anything we said today was not a recommendation for your personal situation. Uh, if you have any questions, you can consult a financial advisor or um, on taxes, a tax professional. And um, everybody's situation is very different and how they should invest should match your personal situation. Yeah. So this is general advice for education only. Yep. No one size fits all. That's for sure. Yeah. And everybody does it differently. And what based on, you know, your risk and what's appropriate for your situation, your life and other money you have. Yeah. And so you should talk to an investment professional or financial planner about your investment plan. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.